It is so good tonight to look out and see all of our folks here. And uh, as Brother Don said, it is a rather chilly night, but uh, you've come here. You've come for the purpose of studying God's Word together. And a couple of weeks ago on Sunday evening, I announced that we would be studying some problems, some difficulties, some teachings that have come into our area and that have been troubling the church. And uh, this is one that I was asked about uh, probably close to a year ago. And uh, it is the question as to whether or not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John belong in the Old Testament or belong in the New Testament. Uh, That is being taught by some here locally. And uh, what we need to do is to study that subject. What I want to begin with is pointing out the church many times is troubled from various directions. We're sometimes troubled by those who are on the outside of the body of Christ. They attack who we are, what we believe, and we find it often mocked, whether it's in the newspaper or on the media or even by our neighbors and friends. But you know, when we come to the Bible, many times the trouble comes from within. And When Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by their smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. We need to realize that the Lord's church is many times suffering at the hands of smooth-talking preachers. Those who come in and they have this idea that they can be able to tell you something that you really, really want to hear. Of course, what happens is that it brings discord. It brings division. It causes brethren who once have been in fellowship with one another to be at odds with one another over Scripture. And what we read in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 19 is he's giving six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are abomination, and he says a false witness who speaks lies and one who sows discord among brethren. God hates it when discord is sown among us. But there's only one way for the Lord's church to survive this, and that is to test the teacher's by God's Word. You ought to be willing. You ought to be ready. Whenever someone teaches something that does not agree with God's Word, to pick up your Bible and say, I may not know right now where this is wrong, but I'm going to find it. I'm going to study it, and I'm going to know what the Bible has to say. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to begin by looking at the charge that is made. Then we want to consider the evidence of God's Word. And then we want to look at the cause of why this is brought up. So let me begin by telling you where this doctrine came from, where it originates. It originates with a false teacher by the name of Dan Billingsley. He's the author of several books and pamphlets. Two of them that are very familiar to people are The Fundamental of Bible Studies and 25 Reasons Why Matthew 19.9 is Not New Testament Doctrine. Brother Billingsley now is an older man, an elderly man. 
I know he and his wife have been married well more than 50 years. Um, he is a man who has lived in and around uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex for several years. And uh, Brother Billingsley, over the years, would frequently mail packets to every church or even every member in an area. Like since I have been here, probably six or seven times, Brother Billingsley will mail a packet to the preacher. When he saw he was not very successful in getting preachers to accept his doctrine, he started mailing it to the elders. He found out fairly quickly that the elders could see through this and not accept it. And so then he started mailing it to the secretaries, started mailing it to people in the congregation to try to create conflict over this very issue. I want to read to you a couple of statements from him so that you will understand what he is saying and those who are parroting him, what they would be saying. And this is from page one of his introduction to the Bible. To understand the modern Bible, we must realize that Roman Catholic publishers, translators, and printers of the Bible have wrongly divided the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John before the cross, and then he uses this acronym, MMLJ slash BC, which means Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John before the cross, and place them in the New Testament rather than the Old Testament Mosaical Covenant where they actually belong, where Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the apostles placed these four books in their inspired teaching. As a result of the Roman Catholic heresy in rightly dividing between the books of the Old Testament and the New Testaments, millions have misunderstood and misinterpreted Christ's teaching of the Old Covenant teaching of the Law of Moses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John before the cross, New Covenant teaching. You're going down just a little bit further on that same page. And he says, millions have never understood that it was not the birth of Christ, but the death of Christ on the cross that brought the Old Testament age to an end. Romans chapter 10, verse 4, Colossians chapter 2, and verse 14. Many people have been misled into believing that Malachi marked the end of the Old Testament age and that John and Jesus established the New Testament age. As a result, they believe that all the teaching, examples, and practice of religion in, is to be followed as New Testament teaching today. Now, I don't think that I have to do a whole lot of explanation, but basically his argument is that we have picked up our Bibles and you look at Old Testament and New Testament, and you see our New Testament begins with Matthew, and that we have perpetuated this by saying there's 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, and they would, he would say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually belong right after Malachi, and he would say that you would only start the New Testament with the book of Acts. Now, um, this is important. Because when you hear his doctrine, someone says, you know what, maybe that's right. Maybe that sounds good. But in Proverbs 18 and verse 17, 
Solomon made a very wise observation. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. I don't know if you've ever listened to a court case or not, but I've watched several on television and I've watched a few live in courtrooms being compelled to be there, uh, not by choice. But in listening to them, when I hear the first person present his evidence, I think, that's true, that's right, you know. But then the other person comes in and they cross-examine them, and then you begin to realize that the case that looked so convincing wasn't really that convincing at all. In fact, the Bible demands that we as Christians be a discerning people, that we not be credulous, that we not believe everything that comes along. When you get to Acts 17 and verse 11, Luke records about the people of Berea saying that they were more fair-minded or they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You're taking God's word and saying, does what that preacher say, is that true or not? Is he giving me Bible evidence to prove his point? And is that what the Bible actually does say? In 1 John 4 verse 1, John the apostle warned saying, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Very simply stated in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test all things, hold fast what is good. That means even what I am presenting to you tonight, you ought to be discerning to say, is that correct or is that not correct? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, we read... Be diligent to present yourself before God or prove to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I know many of you grew up hearing preachers preach lessons on rightly dividing the word of God. And we've talked about Old Testament and New Testament. We've talked about the patriarchal covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Christian age. And where do those dividing lines go? Let me point out to you, half-truths make lies believable. When someone will tell you something and they'll put a little bit of truth in there with it, then it does make it believable. For instance, in Colossians 2 and verse 4, Paul would write, Now I say this lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. If someone outright lies to you, it's hard for you to believe it. But if they mix a little bit of truth in there with it, then you say, well, that maybe that is true. Let me talk to you about what is true. Jesus died and his death brought an end to the Old Testament. I could spend a lot of time doing this. just going to give you two very short verses that will prove this. Colossians 2.14 Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he's taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
Very simple, very plain. Or Hebrews 10, verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Very plainly, the death of cross, the death of Jesus on the cross, brought an end to that Old Testament teaching. Something else that is true. Jesus did live and die under the Old Testament system. He lived under the law of Moses. He was born under the law of Moses. Galatians 4 verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. I don't have any doubt about that whatsoever. But you see, here's a problem. You see, the problem is sometimes people take evidence and they draw conclusions that are not based completely upon that evidence. Let me illustrate to you. Jesus made his covenant while he was alive. In other words, while Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are recording the life of Christ, they are recording his covenant, his testament. You can say, what do you mean by that? Listen to the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 9, 16, and 17. For where there is a testament... There must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is um, force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Think of it yourself. He's talking about a will, a testament. When does a will or a testament become effective? When the person dies. But when does a person have to make that will or that testament. Well, obviously they can't make it after they're dead. They had to make it sometime while they were alive. So when did Jesus make his covenant, his testament? It had to be while he was alive, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't think that's too difficult to understand. The truth is that once he made it and he died... You can't change it. So what that means is, is that when people like Peter and Paul write epistles and John in the New Testament, they are not teaching some new covenant. They're teaching the covenant which Jesus Christ had provided them. Let me give you the biblical evidence for this. In Galatians 3 and verse 15, Paul writes, particularly as it regards to the Old Covenant, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls it or adds to it. Now, folks, listen to that last aspect there. Once it's been confirmed, can you change it? No. Can you add to it? Well, I don't know about our courts today, but I know biblically speaking, and I know legally speaking, no, you can't change it. No, you can't add to it. Listen to what Jesus said when he promised the coming of the Holy Spirit in John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, listen carefully, and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. These apostles, as they went out and preached, they were not preaching their doctrine. 
They were not creating the New Testament. Jesus had already created it. Where did he create it? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But as we consider the evidence, were the teachings of Jesus distinct from the Old Testament? See, one of the things that Brother Billingsley does in his uh, papers, his books, is to try to say, look at the Old Testament and look at the teachings of Jesus. And he says they're perfectly the same. That you have no difference in what the Old Testament taught and what Jesus taught, and that Jesus was only a prophet and John was only a prophet of the Old Testament. Well, is that true? Listen to John 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, and that you, if you have love for one another. It's a new commandment. What makes it new? Remember what the Old Testament said, what Jesus said on these two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets, Matthew 22, verses 38 through 40. You shall love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is you'll love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. You don't love your neighbor like you love yourself. He said, you love your neighbor like I love you. That's even a higher calling, folks. And he says, that's the way people will know that you're my disciples. Let me give you another illustration, which I think really is the death nail to this. In Mark chapter 7, verses 15 through 19, the Lord was in conversation with people who were making a big deal about what a person would eat. And Jesus was saying, it's not what goes in that defiles a man, but what comes out defiles a man. And here's the way he puts it. There's nothing from without a man that going into him can defile him, but the things which proceed out of the man are those that defile the man. And when he was entered into the house from the multitude, his disciples asked him the parable. And he saith unto them, Are you without understanding also? Perceive me not that whatever from uh, without goeth into a man, it cannot defile him, because he goeth not into his heart, but into his belly, and out into the draught. Now listen to the last statement of this. This he said, making all meats clean. I didn't write that. Mark did. This he said, making all meats clean. Listen to what you read in Acts chapter 10, verse 15. And the voice spoke to him, that is to Peter, Again, the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. If Jesus were not making a New Testament, he was only repeating the Old Testament, how could he say all meats are clean? If that were not the case, and we don't live under a new covenant, then folks, you better not eat your bacon tonight. You better not eat your ham. Tim, you better not eat that catfish. You see the point? Jesus was making a new covenant. Let me give you another one. 
If Jesus were only teaching the law of Moses, as he contends, which according to Hebrews 10 verses 1 and 4 cannot save, then how could he say that his words saved? Let me give you Hebrews 10 verse 1. For the law having the shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. But when I go back to John chapter 6 verse 63 and verse 68. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And then Peter says to him, you have the words of eternal life. We sing the song, sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. The words of Jesus did have life. Were there any time indicators in Scripture? In other words, did God indicate anywhere that this is where you're going to draw the line? I think there are. Let me give you some. Passage that Brother Young read to us just a few moments ago. Luke 16, verse 16. Listen carefully. The law and the prophets were until John. Since the time of the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. He said, you don't draw the line earlier when I read that at the end of the book of Malachi and suggest that John and Jesus were somehow ushering in a new system and yet that's exactly what Luke 16 verse 16 says. Beginning with John, you have the end of the law and the prophets. Let me illustrate to you. That's taught elsewhere. As you open the book of Mark, you begin reading those first few verses, and he says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he goes into that. He didn't say the end or the continuation of the Old Testament. He says the beginning of the gospel. In Matthew 3, verse 2, talking about John, Matthew 4, verse 17, talking about Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And listen to what he says to Nicodemus. First, Matthew 3, 2. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 17 of chapter 4. He began to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night and he says, Teacher, there's no one can do or teach the things that you are doing except God be with him. And Jesus approaches John or Nicodemus here and he says to him, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus didn't really understand that. So Jesus gives it to him a second time. Verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What was Jesus teaching Nicodemus? He was teaching a man that he must be baptized in order to enter the kingdom of God, which is the church. If what Jesus taught in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is not the new covenant, then you have got baptism being taught under the Old Testament system and you don't have an understanding of the kingdom or of the church. Listen to John the Apostle. John the Apostle says in John 1 verse 17, 
For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That three-letter word, but, is a very important word which draws distinction between what was and what is. But I guess if I were going to debate a person on this subject, there's one passage that I would go to and I wouldn't give up on. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus goes up on this very high mountain. He takes with him the three closest to him, Peter, James, and John. And while the Lord is there, he is transfigured. His garments, his presence glowed. There appeared with him Moses and Elijah. If you want to look back and say, what do you see there? You see Moses, you see Elijah, representative of the prophets of the old. And here's what you read in Matthew 17, verse 5, after Peter had suggested building tabernacles to all three. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Last two words. Hear him. Hear him. Moses and Elijah are no more. Their covenant is to be passed. Hear my son. Hear Jesus. It's his covenant that I want you to listen to. I'm not through. You've got a problem. When you read Jeremiah chapter 32, Jeremiah is looking forward to the coming of a new law. I didn't put it in here because I don't have time to go into detail. But he says, not according to the covenant that he made with our fathers when he led them out of the land of Egypt, which covenant they break. He says, I'm going to give you a new covenant, a new law. And you know what that new law was for? It was... The old one was just for the Jewish people. Listen to Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, now notice there's scripture being quoted here, verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, you can't miss the fact that there's Gentiles that are going to hear this message. If Jesus is only speaking to Jewish people, why are Gentiles a part of this message? And then you've got the fact that every one of the gospel accounts was not written while Jesus was walking on this earth, but they were written much later. 
There's only one possible conclusion that you can draw from all the evidence, and that is that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are part of the New Testament, the New Covenant of Jesus Christ. Which brings me to the last part, and I'll try to make this as brief as possible. When somebody teaches something new or different, always ask why. Somebody comes up and says, we've got a new way of looking at this. Okay, you do? I'm willing to listen to what the Bible says, but why did you come up with this new doctrine? Where, did, where are you coming from? I'm going to tell you what this one has been. I've already hinted at it in the beginning of his books. This is an attempt to get around the tough passages on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Let me just give you two the ones found in Matthew, Matthew 5, 31 and 32. As Jesus presents his lesson on the Sermon on the Mount, he simply says, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except fornication causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries the woman who is divorced commits adultery. Folks, that's contrary to what is practiced in our society today. When you get to Matthew 19, there's a little more confrontation. You begin with verse 3, it says, Then, or the Pharisees, also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses... Because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now listen carefully to verse 10. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. They said to the Lord, that's really strict. That's really, really tough to the point where maybe a man ought not get married. Now, here's the issue. If you don't like the law, find some way to, to make it not apply. And so what has taken place is people have to find some way to take what Jesus wrote or said in Matthew 5, 31 and 32 and what he said in Matthew 19, 3 through 10 and say that doesn't apply. And so what they've tried to do is to say that that's Old Testament teaching and doesn't apply to us today. That's really the, the cause of it. And the reason why we have it in our community today is because there are people who have married, 
they've divorced for some reason other than fornication. Maybe they didn't like the way the person looked. Maybe they couldn't get along. Maybe they had all these other reasons. But it wasn't for fornication. And they've married somebody else. And now, according to Jesus, they're living in adultery. And people don't want to look at people in the eye and say to them, if you want to be right with God, you've got to get out of your adulterous marriage. And so churches will ignore the teaching of God. Now, I want to tell you to beware. Because false teachers will say what you want them to say. When Paul wrote Timothy in urging him to preach the word, he said to him in verses 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap to themselves teachers, and they will be turned away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You need to beware when somebody will tell you exactly what you want them to hear, what you want to hear, because it's only the truth that will set you free. You know, I don't want to get to the day of judgment and you look at me and say, you didn't tell me the truth. You didn't warn me that my marriage or my children's marriage or their situation was not acceptable to God John 8.32, Jesus said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, because it is the words of Jesus that will judge us. In John 12, verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. As I said a couple of weeks ago, I don't enjoy having to take false teaching and to try to expose it. I'd much rather people just teach the truth and us try to promote people becoming Christians and doing what is right. But we cannot refuse to teach God's Word and to correct that which is wrong. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, we want to beg with you, plead with you to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are a child of God and there's sin standing out in your life, we beg and plead with you to answer the Lord's call to do what is right. If you need to repent and be baptized or you need to repent and let's pray with you, would you come while we stand together and sing?